Hi, and welcome to Showcast. In this episode, we stick our heads into the AV desk at London's largest rave venue, Printworks. Today, I'm speaking with the master of minimalism, designer and VJ, Spencer Heron. Printworks used to be Western Europe's largest newspaper printing facility, and in 2017, the warehouse was reborn as a 5,000 capacity clubbing space. Spencer's company, Rebel Overlay, have been resident VJs since opening night. He's going to be giving us an insight into how he designs visuals for this immense nightclub. So join Spencer and me as we look back on the mixed master's age of VJing, the techno scene, and how to adapt in a career path that is always on the cutting edge. I'm Kat Kimsley, and you're listening to The Notch Showcast. Uh, hi, Spencer. Welcome to Showcast. Hey, how you doing? I'm really good, thank you. I've um, I've really been looking forward to speaking with you about your ongoing design and VJing at Printworks. And you've told me that you're on the mend right now, so um, no worries if you need to cough or splutter or whatever during this interview. Um, I'm really thankful that you still came on the line with us to have a chat. No problem. Um, so Printworks is my special place. And last year I blew a load of cash buying tickets to a string of the autumn winter events and um it was worth every penny so one of my favorite things to do when I'm there other than fist pump and whistle and dance um is to stand right at the back of the room behind the AV desk and just watch the towering visuals and the lighting rig and all the people partying um so even though we're talking over the phone and we've not met face to face in person. I might have been watching over your shoulder on one of those nights. No, really. <laughs> yeah, it could have been either me or Daniel there, but you should have said hello. Well, I didn't know who I was looking for at the time, but I, I always take an interest, always kind of looking at all the thousands of buttons and the, yeah, the, um, the control desk yeah. um, that keeps that spaceship of a club moving so before we get into print works i'd like to ask you about how you got into the industry when did you first become interested in moving image well i studied uh, film production at university and during that time i was uh, very keen and interested in video and different aspects of creating video so during that time at university i would do all my own motion graphics do all my own sound um, pretty much everything self-contained and while while at university that kind of um didn't really turn out to be the path that i wanted to go down it wasn't i wasn't able to be as creative as i wanted to be i think so from that i had lots of friends who were kind of promoting events at university and around university so I kind of got into making installations or doing bits of projection, bits of VJing, and it kind of springboarded from that. I'd always had an interest in visual representation of audio. So there was used to be old television programs that I would stay up late on Saturday nights to watch. It was called, I don't know if many people can remember this, but it was called Mix Masters. And it was kind of, I think it was something to do with addictive TV and they would have a lot of audiovisual mixes from people from around the world. It was it was really amazing. I used to look at that um, with so much admiration and wanting to create my own ways of representing audio with abstract graphics or with kind of things I'd shot on camera. 
So, yeah, it all basically started there as more of a creative outlet for what I wanted to achieve. And I guess it gave me more freedom to do what I wanted rather than the restraints of somebody else's brief as such. Yeah, I recently discovered Mixed Masters and um, managed to find a couple of old versions on YouTube. Yeah, it's really great, really interesting, the kind of stuff that's being done. Yeah, it's a long time ago. It's very, I would say... It was kind of a golden era that it was mm. a lot of people were projection mapping was kind of coming around and a lot of people were um, doing a lot of experimentation. People kind of really thought about the visuals a lot more, I think, rather it wasn't very CG based as, as much. There was a lot of filmed footage. There was a lot of graphics done in a way that was more kind of 2D. And yeah, I, I used to love it. And because the concept behind it was is you got a 10 minute mix from a independent label. And then I guess that would be sent over to a visual artist or AV artist. And they would create kind of, yeah, these experimental visuals that went really well with the music. Um, so, yeah, I think that it could do with a 2020 revamp, but it's great. It's really fun. Yeah. Um, so you conceived Rebel Overlay in your student days. Was it called Rebel Overlay from the offset? Yes, it was actually. It was kind of... Um, Is that because you're a film school rebel? I'm not too <laughs> sure, to be honest. I I kind of recall somehow seeing two words on paper and kind of putting them together. They weren't necessarily next to each other, but they were kind of on the same page. I think that's how it came about. But other than that... Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it just means we would overlay graphics in more of a rebellious way. Mm. I could, that's the simplest way I can describe it. And if you had to describe what a VJ is in simple terms, how, how would you describe, in essence, what a VJ is and does? Um, from our perspective, I guess a lot of people do it differently, but from our perspective, it would be mixing video in tandem with DJ or music artists live. So visually representing what those changes and those different dynamics within a, say a DJ set, for example, and how that progresses and following it with a video kind of narrative as such, although not a narrative, but kind of a narrative in a way it, it builds and develops and changes over time. Being a part of a VJ also seems to be sourcing and archiving and storing a lot of assets, whether that's 3D or or video. Um, how do you keep all your assets organised and accessible? Uh, well, I would be not the best person to talk about that because <laughs> if you look at my desktop now, <laughs> it's, it's chaos. But uh, obviously it's, it's lots and lots and lots of hard drives Mm. And now with everything needing to be higher res and everything being much bigger file sizes, also with Notch and the renders that we we can quickly push out of Notch, just mean hard drive space just disappears. So we have lots of different drives. Um, I'm trying to keep track of all that is quite difficult, but um, in my head, I know where it is. So... Rebel Overlay was founded in your student days. How... Has it grown in recent years? Has it been a natural progression from working on your friends' student gigs and then into these massive mega clubs? Yeah, it's been really kind of slow and organic. I employ someone full-time called Daniel, who's who's great. So it's just me and him, basically, in a studio, and we do everything 
self-contained. We have lots of freelancers who come and cover shows that we can't cover or we send out machines on other you know, on shows like that. But essentially, just two of us at the core, yeah. So we've it's been a nice, slow, general progression just between me and him and, you know, our, our skills. The, the only downside to that is a lot of... We do turn down quite a bit of work throughout a year, I would say, just... Bandwidth, yeah. But other than that, I mean, it's kind of... We are looking to grow more and more, but it's kind of not at the top of the list at the moment. We're just trying to build our skills up and jobs come in as jobs come in, you know, and we kind of just complete and move on to the next thing or devote a lot of time to a certain kind of isolate print works we devoted a lot of energy into that to try and make it as best as possible yeah yeah and you can really tell from the quality of the visuals that you're outputting you know a lot of thought and care has gone into what you created for those shows yeah it has been an ongoing process though it's been close to two years now so and you're kind of talking about developing your skills obviously there's a broad range of skills that goes into putting on productions like this and client management and having technical knowledge but in terms of the software that you use you started off using SketchUp, After Effects, Premiere and Final Cut and then you later moved on to Cinema 4D. How do you maintain fluency on such a range of softwares? Well it's kind of again it goes back to the kind of organic progression you kind of understand one and then those skills translate into another and it kind of progresses from there it's <clears throat> after effects for example the kind of linear timeline of working like that came from working like editing my student films and things like that i used to make a lot of visuals inside of say final cut actually i used to really utilize that tool to create lots of different blends and take video footage and create really interesting looks but just using in final cut <clears throat> and that um and then fr from that, I guess, After Effects, and then from that into more kind of 3D-based work, where it's all been self-taught in a way, you know, watching tutorials and stuff. There's no, apart from what we learned at university, which was more of the editing side of things, the rest of it has been just how do I create these title graphics that I wanted to create or how... Um, how do I do these explosions that I want to create in this short film that we're, we're making? So, yeah, things like that. Yeah, it's such a wealth of information available online now, um, which is amazing. I think it takes some time to find like a good teacher, as it would in real life, to find someone who, you know, you enjoy uh, learning yoga or After Effects or whatever with or how to knit. You attended Notch Training in February 2018. What was the driving force behind attending Notch Training? Was there a specific project that you wanted to use Notch on or were you interested in real time? Yeah, it was just a very much a keen interest in real time. It was everything that was completely groundbreaking. I mean, we understood that there was, you know, game engines out there and there was ways in, in creating visuals, but I think Notch really caught the dynamic of people designing for shows, you know? I would say that the turnaround time in this industry is is you know, everything has to be done last week, basically. And for us, that was what I thought Notch was going to be its biggest selling point to me was the fact that I could create 
those things that I usually create, but I can do it much faster, much more dynamics to it, make it look better and get it done in a, a much quicker time, basically. So that was my, a lot. I think I saw a lot of, uh, a lot of people were using it in our industry or starting to use it or talking about it. So kind of the hype that was generated around it was also one of the deciding factors in me coming along to training. And whilst we're on the topic of training and learning, uh, self-learning and learning online, we're actually in the process of putting together an e-learning essentials course. So um, it'll be an absolute introduction to Notch, which you can take online. Oh, great. Um yeah, so um, it's been it's hosted and hosted by Armin, who probably hosted your training yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So he's um, you still get to see his pretty face um, uh, in video format, and um, yes, yeah, so that's going to be available on Coassemble during the COVID crisis. It's completely free to access. So Rebel Overlay, you've produced a. a You've produced content for a lot of different shows. So you've done some corporate events with Red Bull. You've done club fit outs with Hakkasan. And you've also worked on concert tours for UK grime artists like Skepta and Jay Huss. Yeah. Um, so what's the kind of difference between VJing for mega clubs versus concert touring with grime artists? Well, um, <laughs> I would say firstly, it's it's more of a kind of a linear track one track two track three you kind of know what what's coming it could be it's still kind of live in terms of how we play it back we don't rely too much on time codes because and especially in that kind of instance of these um say these grime artists for example mm-hmm. they're very much um here's this there's this running order um, this track's going to be played here. We know that we load that deck up or whatnot, and we, we play those visuals through that. We can have a bit of fun with it and change up the different scenes and stuff, but usually it's very linear. Um, and in comparison to a, a live show, say, or comparison to a DJ show, it's often never knowing what's coming next or how the night's going to progress. So I think different aesthetics require different genres of music. So yeah. Because you've, you've worked quite heavily within the techno scene. Yeah. So uh, creating visuals for ultra music festivals, resistance stage. Are you a tech head? Well, I used to be, but as a, in my older age, I'm kind of a bit more eclectic, I think now. Mm. So, but I've, when it comes to um, VJ kind of style, I think that is where we're we really feel at home you know it's kind of the slow progressions and the uh the, the high builds and being able to predict it a bit more it feels more like you're djing alongside that dj when you're working with say techno for example or something along those kind of progressive lines you know because your style is really minimalistic with lots of really clean lines and geometric shapes, um, which I feel is really suited to the techno scene. Um, but, well, just from my perception of the techno scene anyway, but um, do you think your love of techno helps define your signature style? Yeah, very much so. I think um, if you... It's the, the minimalist minimalism of the music kind of relates in the minimalism of the visuals and how it's the kind of the jolts of the shapes or how things move on the screen stuff, you know, whether that's aggressively or subtly, it's kind of, it works. It, that unity between the both simplicities is very, 
very engaging for us, yes. I've had a lot of fun researching all the projects you've worked on Um, because generally it just means having a look at videos and and listening to tunes and watching people party and have a good time. It must be quite rewarding to watch people party when you're on the job and feel that instantaneous feedback from a show. Yeah, sometimes it can be nice to see, you know, it's people enjoying themselves. One thing that we, you know, the the cameras coming out kind of thing, we're not... Mm. We wouldn't encourage that for one thing. I think we've, there's been a lot of comments around actually where people have been saying things, put your phones away, put your phones away, you know, talking about the videos. But I think, um, that's, you, it can't really be helped, you know, I think with Berlin sticker policy. Yeah. Perhaps, <laughs> yeah. Like that's actually can be helped if they, if they implement that. I think it's just with the younger generation or, with uh, everything being accessible on your phone nowadays, it's kind of oh, your natural instincts is to get it out and record it rather than just experience it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like it must feel good to have people want to record the work that you're doing, but you feel like perhaps they're not really fully experiencing the moment in itself by you know yeah. just standing in the middle of I yeah. To be honest, like that that person who stands in the middle of the dance floor with their phone held above their head for the entire night. No. Oh, it's always the tallest, <laughs> the tallest person in the room as well. They're always stood right dead center of front of house, right in your sight line. Yeah. So they may as well have just bought a ticket for their tripod and left it there. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> before I start laying in any more um, into that. Um, so you've worked, I feel like you must have worked with every screen size aspect ratio conceivable watching especially some of the work that you've done with resistance how do you approach designing for such a variety of canvases well we look at that's a good question actually we kind of we will look a lot of people provide us a pixel map but they won't provide us the visualization of what the stage is going to look like and the one that is kind of useless about the other in our eyes because we kind of want to see what the virtual gaps are what kind of space that we've got to between panels and such like that so we we'll usually look at the visualization what it looks like and then we go to what we've got in our content libraries like we have a lot of uh, square content for instance which we find is one of the better ways to create content is in a square format because as long as it's high res enough you can always make 69 out of it but then you can always um, make 43 out of it or you you do find a lot that LED screens can be made in squares or they can be made in rectangles or whatnot. And we find the best kind of ratio to create content with to adapt to all these different environments and all these different screens would be kind of the one by one kind of square ratio. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, so, so when you're kind of R&Ding ideas, uh, you're not just doing it for Instagram, you're kind of R&Ding them for um, to be versioned for all these different screen types because it's the most adaptable format that you found yeah because yeah like the circles as well i forgot to add that you can do mm. circles quite easily from square so i feel kind of like when you're waiting to get into the club you've done a really good chat with your mates and now it's time to get into print works and and really get behind the scenes on the work that you've been doing there obviously you've made multiple pieces of content for print works over the two years that you've worked with them how did that collaboration come to be well we 
actually used to work with a brand called um, the Hydra. So they were kind of mm-hmm. some, I would say, very forward thinking promoters in London. Um, and we would do a lot of shows with them at various kind of where ace venues um kind of before the olympics uh around just about after the olympics and stuff it was very big on dry hire spaces where uh, uh kind of a disused warehouse would be turned into a venue so they were quite like big pioneers of that and when printworks came around they um it really fitted with what their brand ethos was kind of about so they moved to Printworks to promote these specific events. They would have maybe around four or five or six a year or something with Printworks. And they brought us along with them. So that, that relationship kind of started through, through them, if you understand what I mean. They saw what we were doing for the Hydra and they were really interested in bringing us on to push forward their whole aesthetic Mm. And and Printworks, I feel, has quite a specific aesthetic. Was that um, was there a process early on where you were trying to develop that for the stage visuals? Yeah, it was all. Everything was very black and white. You know, like I don't know if you remember their early kind of uh, artworks and flyers and things like that. So we and that fit with us perfectly anyway because that's ex- exactly what we do. The screen, I don't know if you remember, but the screen was different when we first started there. It was kind of a lot of staggered panels coming all the way down the side of the room. So they weren't a big column of light like there is now. It was just these broken up panels. And again, that we kind of designed content for one of those thin panels. And then we kind of delayed it over time throughout so we could chase light like around the room in circles and stuff like that. But it wasn't very popular, that screen layout, because I think it blocked the views of people up on the balcony and stuff like that. So it didn't really live last that long. And then came the, um, they were looking for the next season. I can't really remember what season. It might have been spring, summer. No, it must have been autumn, winter 2018, maybe. They were looking for some new ideas and the hydro brought us into some meetings with them and what we suggested was this giant column four meters by 12 meters and then we started taking their mood boards and kind of designing content specifically to fit within that frame pixel mapped and um yeah kind of just grew from there amazing did it kind of give you a lot more freedom to design with this column structure versus multiple smaller screens well it's it's often i don't know if i think it's often a lot more difficult when you go back to just one screen if you understand what i mean because i think when you've got more you've got more surfaces to play with you there's more dynamic and you can make less interesting content work better over multiple canvases if you know what i mean especially if we're doing say delays or we're doing mosaics of things or kind of blending these different clips um across the whole canvas but with just one canvas you have to try and make that one focal point as interesting as possible but also while not distracting people too much i guess or not taking the um too much of the limelight away or brightness or whatever you know what i mean it's kind of yeah, I'd say it was. It is a bit harder, but it was at first. But kind of, we've got into it now. And as as you can understand, it's not a 
regular format screen it's not 69 so a lot of the content we already had does just just not work on it you've got a very if you put it in a uh, 69 frame the ratio of what print works is you are basically taking maybe less than a quarter from the center you know so design wise you have to look at it as here's this big column how can we make content work within that frame if you know what i mean and some of the looks that you've created for it are really kind of they kind of really take advantage of the shape you've done a look where it's the human body and i think that works really well with that format because you kind of get to see a a well-proportioned person yeah kind of towering above everybody as well as the um almost like taunt like tornadoes do you know what i mean uh vortex minister. thank you yeah yeah so you've created a couple of vortex effects where they almost look like lava or um very fluid as well so it works really nicely with that sense of floating upwards yeah and it's the beauty of the screen that we have in printworks now is it it can be made to look borderless so the lighting that's behind it and with it being transparent it kind of it's so high quality that you don't see the edges and it's that was i mean we've worked with a lot of transparent screens before and we've done uh you know things like that where we've experimented with it but on this scale we've never really seen it work for us as as well as it does now so it kind of get when you get that perspective view it just feels like it's really there you know with the lighting behind and it kind of the glows and there's no edges visible it, kind of it makes content just really feel like it's right at the end of the room like a hologram floating so when you go into a club night how many clips of content do you need to fill the hours and hours that are on the dance floor oh so 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 much um <laughs> it all depends i guess say we are doing the techno nice or housey nice a lot of that translates together quite easily you know like a certain clip that works for that will work for this so our libraries are really quite full for any kind of night that we walk into to be honest i think what we do at printworks is a lot slower and a lot more thought about so we kind of hold back so for instance as the day starts we will we won't put anything on the screen till say three o'clock or so i kind of like to base it on how many people are in there or where they're coming up to on the dance floor you know Mm. um because that i i think it's a really good asset that you can introduce later on with really good effects and kind of take people on a journey with so i like to hold back on that until say three four o'clock in the afternoon because they are daytime parties if we just uh, establish that if no one really knows about this I absolutely love bringing people into that main hall and just watching them be like, what the fuck? Because yeah. <laughs> like, it's so dark, but then you've just got these brilliant lights. You know, it's all really exciting, basically. And it's just so big. There's nothing as big as print works. It's the height as well. I think that is what, mm. or just, yeah, the scale of all these like giant warehouses interconnected. But I think it's that room, what is great about it is, even though it's very narrow, it is just the scale from floor to ceiling and how that space is used, you know? So it's a, it makes a giant rectangular canvas that all the lighting, all the kinesis, everything coming together creates a visual onslaught for anywhere you look in that long rectangle space. When you're designing for uh, print works, 
yeah. or for any club, really. Do you find yourself doing a lot of pre-visualization to envisage how certain content will look in the space or look on the screen? Sometimes, not always, but if we go back to how we look at visualizations of stages that accompany pixel maps, for example, say someone will show us what the design layout is. We often work in a way where we recreate that layout as a canvas, you know, in Photoshop or anything, for example, we will then create these tiles for each tile and where they are in physical space and the distance between each tile, we kind of work out from the pixel picture, the panel and stuff like that. So we'll recreate it and then we kind of have a, a visualization canvas to use there. So what you see in our playback output is kind of what's relating to what's happening in the real world anyway. That would be what we do for pre-visualization mostly. But obviously, um, say with Primworks, for example, that is, you can kind of expect with it just being one panel, you can kind of expect what it's going to look like, you know. And how do you work with the lighting designers on site? Yeah, I mean, that relationship, so I'll just mention that, is he's called Dave Ross. He does Apex Twin, lots of other eyes. He's great. Um, and we've kind of built up a relationship with him over two years. You know, it's every, every weekend, basically. So you can understand there's a, there's a bit of banter there and there's a bit of camaraderie. Um, so we kind of anticipate what he's going to do. He anticipates what we're going to do. There's kind of, we give a lot of breathing space to the lighting because mm. it is a kind of an onslaught for the senses inside Printworks. There's a lot going on. There's things moving. There's lights on every single truss in there. There's a massive screen at the end. It, everything together, all the pixels on, on the screen, all the lights on at the same time, that can get a bit much, you know? So we like to give breathing space to lighting and kinesis and they they give us breathing space to do the things with just the screen or for example we will we have a, like a few different looks that we will call upon let's say we'll have a graphic that's gone on screen and dave would jump to a certain kind of lighting effects that happens behind the screen that complements what's going on on the screen you know so there's a lot of back and forth between us and a lot of um, understanding and anticipating what each of us is going to do next. But is it a back and forth with words or is, is this just a look now after two years? <laughs> well, it's most of the time it's just kind of working. I guess we follow them quite a lot. We follow the lighting quite a lot. You know, we will, t we colorize everything to match. And if a certain artist is coming on, let's say we'll talk about how we're going to do the intro for them, whether who holds off or whether someone brings in something at a certain time or whether it's going to be strobes or whether it's going to be stripped back, you know, we'll have those little discussions before artists will start. But generally as we're going through, it's a dynamic way of kind of bouncing off each other, you know, like they, he might pick a certain hat or a certain noise within a bar loop or something you know and we might do the opposite of that so you can see there's a dynamic between the two that often looks like lighting might be controlling what's happening with the video or, or the other way around you know and then it's so interlinked with the music as well yeah yeah and it's something like kinesis shouldn't be left out i mean they do a great job as well but the kinesis may come down into a certain position which is kind of blocking the overall view of everything you know mm. so then we would switch to using um we've got skeptrons that run all the way through the roof and along through the um, for the different kinesis pods and stuff, which we control. So we create loads of animation for these Skeptron lines, you know? So there's, I can't I don't know how much there is exactly, but it's a lot about 170 meters or something. 
You, you mentioned earlier colouring the video to fit with the lighting. Are you doing that live and how, how are you doing it, if so? Yeah, um, often, so if we are using more of a minimal kind of content pack, a lot of stuff like they say we will create is in black and white. Most of the minimal stuff is everything is in black and white because we feel we can colorize that live to whatever lighting is in the room at that moment, you know. But sometimes we will create content that is color specific, you know, something that has more detail in it. That's the times where we would probably need to coordinate with the looks of the room to be able to use it at the right time, if you know what I mean. Have you used much ray tracing or path tracing in Notch in many of your recent designs? Well, yes, uh, a lot recently. I have been doing a lot of path tracing and ray tracing and it's quite intensive, but yeah, it's, I'm seeing the difference in results using that. Mm. It really takes it up to redshift kinds of renders, you know, but it's not really real time, but it's still for really glossy looks. And I'm sure a lot of the print work stuff you'll see in the next season will be very heavily path traced as such. Oh, cool. I'll look out for it. When you go upstairs at Printworks into, there's another bar, which is sometimes the VIP bar, but then often it's open to everyone. Yeah. There's a massive light structure there, which you created. So it's called Nexus. How did you get into creating light sculptures? Yeah. Like back when we started VJing, well, when I started VJing, I obviously invested a lot of money in kind of equipment so I could try out different things. That got a bit out of control over the years. <laughs> and I may have invested in things that probably shouldn't have. But yeah, so I... So you're making good use of them now then. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of equipment now, just like just bits that I can use for, say, insulation bits. It's all, basically, it's more of a hobby than anything else, that side of things. It's during some downtime or something, I would like do a bit of experimentation with lighting in some kind of way and building some kind of 3D structure out of, out of lights. So, yeah, it's all really stemmed from that. It's kind of, Printworks is an incredible place to do this kind of stuff. There's vast, enormous open spaces in which you could create beautiful installations and they just look great in there, you know? It's actually not there anymore. We... With the start of autumn winter uh, 2019, we took that out and we've put in a new one now, which is more of a tessellated pixel pattern shape, which kind of, uh, it's hard to describe, but it's dynamic in terms of you can, there's kind of a um, uh, leap motion controller in front of it, which you can wave your hands or go higher or lower and you kind of introduce these different elements over the top of it. Um, yeah, so. Cool. Um and for anyone who would like to get into this kind of work, what advice would you give them? I would say just get the software, experiment, download what you can, watch as many tutorials as you can. And just, I mean, the medium of VJing is so open. You can be a photographer who wants to play back his photography live or animate his photography and some bring it to life, but do it at events. You could be a filmmaker who wants to cut up his own films and kind of redistribute the narrative of those films to a live electronic music. You know, there's lots and lots of different ways in which you can approach it. It's collecting media and arranging it however you wish. It's it's very, very creative. And I don't think anyone should be put off by it. It's, it's still a niche kind of thing, but 
there are quite a few courses. There's lots of VGA courses out there. There's, I mean, we were doing a VGA course at Film Oxford for a number of years. It's now been passed on to Tony from the Lab Visuals. So, and that happens about four times a year, I think. So you can, it's very cost effective and it's uh, just a two day introduction, I think, um, to VJing and kind of gives you a running run through on the background and stuff. But yeah, I would just say experiment. Um, try and absorb as much information as you can draw um get involved in the groups and the communities that are based online and just yeah just stick at it well thanks so much for having a chat with me today spencer yeah, no problem. um great to learn about your process and about rebel overlay and find out a lot more about print works and i'm sure after going to autumn winter 2020 i'll have loads more questions for you so um hopefully we can chat again at some point yeah cool sounds good nice okay well thanks so much for your time bye bye You can check out more work from Rebel Overlay on their website, rebeloverlay.com, and by following them on Instagram at Rebel Overlay. Want to find out more about Spencer's work at Printworks? Then head over to the Notch website, notch.one forward slash showcase. If you want to start learning Notch today, then enroll in the Notch eLearning Essentials course via our website, notch.one forward slash learn. And let us know what you thought of today's episode over Twitter at NotchVFX hashtag showcast. Next week, I'm joined by Gilberto Castro, media artist and co-founder of successful Mexico-based studio Intus Interactive Design. We'll be talking about Submerge, an immersive installation inspired by Pantone Color of the Year 2020. Join us in a thought-provoking conversation on color theory and interactive design. Thanks for listening and catch you there.